Well, greetings. Hello. Hello. How are you? I am good. That is good. <laughs> this could be our most awkward start ever. Yeah, it could be. But yeah, it could, be. could also be just a, a slow start that progressively gets more heartwarming as we go. Yeah, or let's let's hope for that. Let's hope that that's, mm-hmm. that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, if you're brand new, welcome. Thanks. I am brand new. If... Uh, if you've been here before, also welcome, mm-hmm. but but welcome back yes. as well. Yes. Um, this week's a little different. Yeah, for a couple of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can only think of one. What's what's so? What else is there? There's like varying levels of like um, importance of how it's different, but obviously the most okay. important reason it's different is we're interviewing people that were part of a creative team for a film we reviewed. Right. It, less, less yeah, that. like that's the, that's the, that's the like big one. Slightly mm. less okay. important were like our episode this week is actually a pre-recorded episode that we're it's just kind of leading up to. The, the and it's an interview. interview so it's already done. Mm-hmm. Yes. So if I were to say something like, ah, I'm really looking forward to sitting down and chatting with them. <laughs> You'd be That lying. would be deceitful. Yeah. You would that's, be a, that's you would be classified as a liar. Mm-hmm. And a fraud, perhaps. I've been classified as worse. Well, frankly. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, my name's Brady. I'm Pete. And uh, we're the movie men. We are. Uh, typically, we review films and yes. uh, occasionally talk about movies and shit like that. Um, <laughs> but this time around, uh, yeah, we a couple days ago, we reviewed... Uh, the naturist film, Act Naturally, mm-hmm. uh, and then wonderfully had an opportunity to sit down with the director, writer, producer, editor, uh, God, like just about everything. Just about everything, yeah. Um, and then we also had a chance to sit down at the same time with um, one of the writers and uh, talent for the upcoming sequel. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so that's, I mean, that's an opportunity you don't pass up. It's definitely, yeah, it's definitely an opportunity that presented itself that was very unique. So you, yeah, you I sent no. 700 emails. So <laughs> that's not true. That's not true. It, uh, no, they were very gracious and, and, mm-hmm. and they were, you know, and really wonderful. And I think that ultimately what was I going to do with a firstborn anyways? Like, <laughs> you know, you and know, you know, they uh, just cost you money. Well, and the thing is, in addition to that, what is a house for, but to double mortgage really? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like, you know, if you can't liquidate some assets as a result of it, what, what's the point? Yeah. Shit. Otherwise, you know, live in a tent. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I agree a hundred percent. Um, so thank you mm-hmm. for for showing up. Thank yes. you for clicking. If you clicked accidentally, ugh. but uh, I still think there's something in store for you here. So yeah. it's a fun interview. It's yes. been pre-recorded. So we're just literally going to click, yep. sit back and listen along with you. We hope you enjoy. Uh, and we hope you enjoy. Uh, I'm Consi Nelson. I play Sarah Carter in Act Supernaturally. I'm also a co-writer and producer and film loader 
and I don't know all the hats I had for X Supernatural. Makeup artist. <laughs> yeah. A whole load of different titles. <laughs> yeah. <for> Hi. Sure. <laughs> I'm JP Riley. I am the director and producer and co-writer and editor and soundtrack performer. And perf- and I play Machete Freddy in both of them. We never know my character's name in the first movie, but we learn my character's name in the second movie. Um of Act Naturally and Act Supernaturally. Wow. So Act Supernaturally is a sequ- an upcoming sequel. Yeah, it'll be released um, the first week of September. We're putting out a Blu-ray of the first movie um, with Gunpowder and Sky. And it'll be available on Amazon and with a digital download of the sequel as well as a feature-length making of Doc. Nice. Of, of both movies. Okay, so at which point... We're going to, without having even asked you, we're going to pressure you on the internet while everyone's listening uh, to come back on and talk to us again sometime around the release uh, so that we can learn more about that film and and the the behind-the-scenes process on that. This sounds like coercion. It is, yeah. We accept. I mean, mean, you're welcome to say no, but... No, I I think we can do that. yeah, Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, cool. So, uh, this is, uh, this is, this is a big deal for us. This is our first time not to, you know, not to make ourselves seem smaller than we are. Um, but this is our first time speaking with the director of a film that we are reviewing, um, which is a little intimidating. I, I kind of have to, no, I kind of have to, I'm not. I'm not that much of a director, so it's okay. I'm way smarter than him, so you're fine. <laughs> she is, even though we both went to the same school in the same in the same uh, departments, really. No, you were in theater. No. I was in film. I was in theater and English. Thank you. Yeah, and and I majored in in uh, film and percussion performance. Nice. So poverty and poverty. We both majored in poverty. Nice, nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, we 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 uh, we run a podcast, so we we understand. Pinching pennies, for sure. Yeah, we hear you. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think the first question that pops into my head is, uh, you know, so you set out, you decide you want to make a film. Why this film? Why a naturist film? Why why a film with naked people in it? Well, I will tell you that the fr- I never expected to make this movie. I wrote it um, on vacation in St. Martin in college back in 2000 um, at Club Orient, where I had taken my girlfriend at the time to kind of introduce her to the world of naturism because my parents um, are naturists and had just taken over a club that um, my great uncle originally owned. And um, I ended up, we ended up having kind of an argument of really bad fight one night. And I wrote most of the script sitting on the balcony on like legal pads. Um, And that, I had an assignment for advanced screenwriting class at the time in school called like write a script about an experience that's unique to you. And at the time I was like 21 years old and was thinking like, well, what have I really done at this point in time? I've owned a landscaping business. I've been in a a band and I grew up in Westfield, Indiana and went to a private school where I was the poor kid on a scholarship. Um, So not a whole lot of life experience at that point. But I remember thinking, oh boy, do I have one for you guys. Um, and I kind of submitted it as a writing sample to agents and stuff. Um, when I was directing music videos and first starting out, um, and the agencies would request like three scripts from you. Um, 
usually shortly after I had a video that was like a, a kind of a hit. And I got a phone during the writer's strike. I was writing a script called Safe House um, for Sony Pictures. And before it went into turnaround, it got picked up by Universal um, during the strike. And I got a phone call from my manager. No, it was my agent at the time at Paradigm. And he said that there's a producer named Christine Sheeks who made a bunch of movies that I love called. I knew who she was because I'd actually just read Kevin Smith's book called Jay and or Silent Bob Speaks. and Which is a great book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a whole chapter about the casting process of, of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, where she's mentioned a lot. So I kind of already knew her name from that. And um, it turns out, like, Scott Mosier had given me um, her business card, Kevin Smith's producer. And uh, I went to a screening of Real Paradise, a movie that Kevin Smith and Scott Mosier exec produced by Steve James. And I'd met Scott Mosier, and he gave me her business card, or wrote her name and number down on a business card, and I put it through the laundry. Oh, um, no. And couldn't read it anymore. <laughs> and then my agent called me and said, like, she's interested in reading it. So I don't know. I'll never know whether, like, Mosier recommended it or they or just someone else was like, oh, they'd be a good fit together. Um, but Christine had read, like, th- all of my scripts because, like, I guess during the writer's strike, there was nothing new to make. And right. so they were going through. Sounds like, the... a, sounds like a familiar scenario. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, they kind of said, like, we'd like to to develop a couple of your scripts. And I said, and I kind of knew which ones they were talking about, but I didn't expect it to be act naturally. Right. Cause that script always had good coverage, but went in the like, does not a teen sex comedy. Yeah. And not, and not a, an indie drama that's awards bait. So it kind of got, and it said strong recommend on the writer, but not recommend on, on the, the script because too much male nudity. It'll get an NC 17, which was the kiss of death back mm-hmm. then. Yeah. And so I just never figured it would get made. I figured if I made Act Naturally, it would probably get made self-financed through, you know, my retirement or my pension when I was older. I'd like mortgage my home or something. And that right. was like old and gray. Sure. Yeah. I, I can imagine having a script like this, you know, and and yeah, I mean, if you have a script like this and you're a naturist, then not only because it's your script, you've got some some love for the script. Um but you're also going to be rather particular on how how it's received and what the mood and the vibe is because yeah you don't want it to you don't want it to come off as somewhere between the new american pie and a remake of deep throat right like it's got to be right. it's it's got to be its own its own thing but it it's got to stay true to um to the nature's lifestyle when we um when we were shopping around for financing, we actually sat down and met with Bender Spank, the company that made American Pie, and they suggested they offered us quite a bit of money to make it American Pie nudist colony. And, oh wow! And I could have cashed in on that to the tune of like seven figures, and remember leaving being like, I can't do it, but the money sounds so good. Yeah, see, but, but the, I didn't. The, the problem. <laughs> I was like, my mom will never speak to me again if I ruin the Naturist movie. Yeah, and I mean, by that point, we were out of like, you know, at that point, you're not talking about Sean William Scott and Jason Biggs. You're talking about like these. Just you Eugene know, Levy, and that's the only. He'd be the, he'd be the only carryover, right? Because they did what they did, like Naked Mile, and they did because the first couple, the Al, first Beta House, was Beta, Beta House, Beta, yeah, yeah, Beta House, and I forget which other Bandcamp. Because I've, Band I've yeah, I've seen them all, and well, I mean, Bandcamp had to happen because Bandcamp was a part of right, American right. Pie lore. What actually goes right. on at Bandcamp? But 
uh, yeah, I remember. I remember the first the first couple of ones, like the the true proper American Pie movies. They've got some nudity in them, um, but it's it's usually one or two scenes. But then they they got into like their naked mile years, and it was like the gloves were off. It was just like, you know, we're going to, we're going to bombard you with as much gratuitous nudity as we can possibly get. Yeah. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. And, and that was kind of something we kind of struggled with. I went back and did a rewrite on act naturally during the writer's strike and used like my intern and his girlfriend who is now a, a quite a accomplished writer in her own right. Um, girl named Annie Levine, who's written several shows. Her dad's kind of a legend and wrote a ton of great shows. Um, MASH included and a whole bunch of legendary shows. And we did a cleanup on the script with non-union writers. And um, then we started casting and looking for a location. And looking for a location proved to be extremely difficult. It took us almost two years to find a location willing to let a, an actual nudist resort willing to let us shoot. We traveled around to a bunch of them. And but you're... Once, uh, but your parents owned a place at this point, right? Right, so and the board of not... directors, we thought it was going to be simple. Right. And then the board of directors found out how long we would need to shoot there and how intrusive it would need to be, and they were like, no. Sure, you're bringing probably a lot, you've got a lot uh... of crew there that's wearing clothing, and that's maybe a, a sticking well, point. Well, that's, that's the interesting thing. Uh, at least with the sequel, we informed all of our crew, unless it was necessary, like if you're, you know, working with lights or whatever uh they also had to adhere to the policies of the location or removing a wasp nest or working on a car or yeah if you're moving a hot hmi that's like 400 <laughs> degrees like you're allowed to wear clothes sure no sure. We, um, we did some stupid we did some stupid <laughs> things of what not to do naked in the sequel uh where nice. we actually do it did it naked so <laughs> nice nice i will say that is uh you know one of one of the the highlights for me one of the the moments that i just fall over laughing at in the first one uh is the montage of of uh times where it's okay to wear clothing uh, you know that hor that hornet's nest that we had yeah was a prop from always sunny in philadelphia where our associate producer was working at the time and oh, wow. she totally snuck that thing out of the art department and as soon as we only did like three takes with it, and as soon as we were done, she was like, I have to get this thing back before can, they realize I, I got to get this back pronto or I'm <laughs> yeah, unemployed. For, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Nice. <laughs> no, but I love how that, yeah, it's a montage that ends with just the most wonderfully unflattering shot of a guy working on a car from behind. And, yep. And, and th that. <laughs> that shot wasn't originally in there. I actually stole that shot just by being at the resort. And then after the fact asked, a guy named Wayne Marinelli, who's a resident there, if I could use it. Nice. Because he was just working on his car, and I was walking by, and I was like, oh, that's too good. <laughs> <laughs> that shot, and then the, and I don't know what, like, all of my favorite shots have to do with, with naked dudes, but uh, that and the shot. The circular saw one, too. The power tool. The, the circular also. saw is great, but the other shot that I absolutely love is when Leah first meets Trevor, and there's just this close-up shot of Trevor's penis, and it's like, oh, Yep. Okay. That uh... that is a close up of my penis composited onto Trevor's body. Actually. Which which I kind of wondered. I kind of <laughs> because of the way it was shot. I'm like, you know, often often you have body doubles, right? Like often the guy whose butt that you see Al Pacino's butt is actually Joey Triviani instead of of Al well, Pacino. At the time, Josh <laughs> Josh, the actor who played Trevor, was on the show Friday Night Lights, and we shot 
shot it with his, and then we got a f- email from his manager oh. upon, upon showing the rough cut to everybody that he has a clause in his NBC contract about appearing full frontal nudity in any in any capacity anywhere in any form of media in the known universe, and he would be in breach of his Friday Night Lights contract. And so he called me and said, like, we have to cut that shot. And I was like, what if we put my genitalia on your body? So we had to do a shoot where I was wearing like a green screen with just the crotch cut out. Right. And he was wearing a green screen patch just over his junk. Right. And that was the probably the weirdest. And we did it at Studio Media in Chicago where we were mixing the sound, and it was kind of one of the weirdest days of shooting. <laughs> I, yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, that's that's a story and a half for sure. That would be up there. But we decided not to lose that laugh. <laughs> like, we were oh, like, yeah. it's too good of a laugh. It's a great lose. laugh. It's a great laugh because it's it's up until this point... Up until this point, there's been... Like, the film starts out and there's some nudity... Uh, right, sort of a, a a montage at the beginning. There's a little bit of nudity, and then we see we see a little bit of female toplessness. But this is the first like, I think this is the first genitalia shot that you get in the film. This is the first like in your face naked shot. If I would have had it my way, originally in the script, it was supposed to be right when um Corey walks out to greet the girls. That was supposed to be the first big in your face nudist shot. Um, but it was super cold that day. It was like in the like mid forties, the morning we shot that. And the actor was like, if you could not show me in this, <laughs> it was like, we walk outside. It was like instant sex change weather. Right. Right. For sure. And we kind of decided to spare his, his pride. And, and it, it did look weird. It was just like, yep, it's that cold. And it's supposed to be, you know, springtime. We shot that scene in like early March. Um, there's really only like a couple times during the year where we can shoot, at Olive Dell Ranch where they have like an opening in their calendar um, where there's enough time where we can get anything really done. Otherwise you're just shooting over like a couple days. Um, and it's usually in like beginning of March. And then there's another window like after uh, Memorial day before 4th of July, where there's another window where we can, where they don't have anything big on their calendar where we can shoot. Right. And it's only two twice a year where we can really be there. That's one of the reasons these movies take a couple years to shoot, at least, because we only get like two windows during the year to film there. Jeez. Yeah. So how and, yeah. interesting? How long was production? Um, it's about fifty-five days total, but broken up over the course of like several years, over right. like three years long. Oh wow! So and that makes continuity or continuity, as we call it on these movies kind of difficult. Oh, for sure. Everyone's got to get the same haircut again. And yeah. And we have to watch out about tan mm. lines and like wardrobe. And right. even if weight, weight gain, weight loss, sure. yeah. Yeah. And, but wardrobe in itself, you don't think about wardrobe being a problem, but if like someone has different colored flip flops or different towels, on, that stuff is so much more noticeable when you're naked than if you have wardrobe on sure. Like towels, earrings or something that like looks that jumps right out at you. And that yeah. we realized that stuff is so much more apparent when you're naked. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and also likely far more like when you sit down and you watch the film sticks out to you like a blazing sore thumb. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Way more than it does the audience. Yes. It, but, it, but you know, something's not right, but you're not sure what it is. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And, for and sure. even the audience knows that something looks different or something looks off. But like they're not a hundred percent sure what doesn't look right. Yeah, yeah um, for sure. So that's kind of one of the things that like 
kind of separates indie good from indie bad at times. Right. Well, and then um, mm. Act Supernaturally, it was we shot what was the num the total number of days, Japes? Uh, I think ninety one. And it was over the course two days. Five years, four years. Wow. Yeah, so four years. Oh, wow. Twenty eighteen. So, um, he, yeah, that Act was Supernaturally uh, is just such a bigger thing. It's just it much- is. Because we're not solely on the resort, we we go a lot of different places. Sure. Um, uh, so is we're like, in different cities, <laughs> right? So the fifty-five days on Act Naturally is that fifty-five days of principal photography, or is that fifty-five days of of shooting and uh, in the editing room? I think and... principal photography was like where we had like full cast and crew was like 31 or 32 days sure. and then, there and were then 20 reshoots days of, we're not even reshoots just pickup days where we didn't sure. have where we had like a splinter crew or a b unit Some where we went to the yeah, res- yeah where we went to the hmm. resort or we went to the the beach location down in deep creek hot springs where we took like a skeleton crew and two actors right or you know the stuff that was done with leah and charlie in their apartments that stuff was done in a with a small crew um and right like, on or when we went to austin yeah, we were at, we were at Hippie Hollow in Austin for the wide shots of the resort or for of the beach. Yeah. Right. Um, the beach location is actually two different places since there is no beach at Olive Dell Ranch. That's Hippie Hollow in Austin is the wide shots, and then the close up stuff is of the beaches at Deep Creek Hot Springs and Apple Valley. Right. For for uh, that's for Bear Lake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. There's in two the locations yeah. for Bear Lake, and okay. we did a few more days at Austin mm. in the sequel, and only yeah. went to Deep Creek for like I think one or two days. Um, on the sequel because we and and I went by myself for the most part and took like I think Amanda is the only cast member who went with us to yeah. Deep Creek. Um, well, that, and that's, is, I was gonna yeah, say Amanda, on. Go ahead. I was gonna say on X Supernaturally, we we tended we other than I'd say like two and a half weeks of of full crew we really did most almost entirely all of our shooting with a an extraordinarily tiny skeletal crew (laughs) right just because we we realized like on the first movie in order to shoot in those little cabins you don't need 40 people yeah um you just don't like when we're shooting inside those little birdhouses that are like 10 by 12 cabins um you don't need a, a full grip electric department and I mean, by the time you get like two cameras in there, a sound guy, and then the two actors, it's pretty tight. And by the time you light it, and then you have to turn the air conditioning off for sound. And those things have tin roofs, and we're shooting in the summertime where it's 105 degrees out there in the desert. Mm. And we usually kept a thermometer up in the corner. Um, when it would hit like 120 in there, we'd usually take a break. Oh, um, yeah. It gets stifling <laughs> hot. Yeah. It's stifling it, it, yeah. hot. It's we tried to look for reasons to keep the doors open on the cabins in the sequel where like someone's standing in the doorway or just any way, any way we could to get the <laughs> sure. heat out of sure. those little hot boxes. Cause the air conditioners yeah. work great, right. but they don't work great for sound. Sure. Oh no. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And, and the, the olive Dell in general is not an ideal place for sound because there's an, that's really close to Edwards air force base where you constantly have air force traffic. And every now and then like the night we shot in the hot tub, there was a, like a military training exercise where like all of a sudden, like 
a, an F-35 went right overhead, like to the point so close to the ground where you could see the numbers on the bottom of the jet. And then a stealth <laughs> bomber went by. Wow. And then a couple of Blackhawk helicopters. And we were like, hold for bogey. Jesus uh, Christ, that's close. Yeah, yeah, yes. for sure. For sure. And there's a train tracks <laughs> that runs by. So I know the train schedule, like the back of my hand now. We know at like 11 o'clock on Fridays, there's a freight train mm, that goes through. Sure. And, and then there, there's the donkeys right. and the, or the wild burrows and the coyotes. <laughs> Which never, so, the wild burrows never start hee hawing during a comedy scene where it would be effective. It's always during like one of the dramatic scenes where it's serious. All of a sudden you have... <laughs> Sure. Yeah. We're getting some, we're getting some progression on, on Charlie's background and all of a sudden there's this yeah. comedic or, noise. Or yeah. the worst is when one gets yeah. eaten by coyotes. That sounds lovely. Oh, wow. Like where you're like, Oh yeah. Jesus, that, yeah, that coyote's getting eaten. And then you see the carcass the next day when you're driving down to get food. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Good Lord. <laughs> and you're like, yep. That's the I've got a question. Right <laughs> yeah. I've got a question for you guys. So I, I'm assuming this is kind of unique in that you guys are doing the shooting, not just for a period of time at once, but you're saying X supernaturally, like it's over the span of like four years. And I, I'm just curious if that is kind of unique. What is there kind of a unique dynamic to the actual project itself? Because I, I know you guys have like jobs and you're doing stuff when you're together for the the yearly uh, intervals where you're you're working on the film, but like it almost has like a summer camp feel to it, where like you'd have this dynamic where you're reunited with like your friends and colleagues once a year to push forward on this project, right? It's not like some films where it's just once one and done and you're gone. Like and we didn't we didn't in yeah it's kind of, of this, true. Yeah. We basically I. Like, Conti and I basically work on it full-time throughout the year, planning and scheduling it and, like, cutting the stuff that we already have. There's 11,000 oh, cool. visual effects shots in the sequel. Um, wow, compared to how many in wow. the first? Like, 86 mm. or 90-something. Yeah. I think it was, like, 90. And what? there are wow. Yeah, there was, like, 90 visual effects shots in the first movie, most of which were, like, getting rid of the license plate and getting rid of the Honda logos on the car and, sure. like, getting rid of... Um, mm. And a lot of which were in that little like intro video, right? Um, but this one had so many, like almost every shot in some form or another is a visual effects shot. Wow! Um, wow! So it's more ambitious for sure. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so like, uh, 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 yeah. Almost so much so that when we started shooting it, we were like, "What have we gotten ourselves into?" Yeah. We also is this, is this a good idea? And the answer is maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that uh, I would ever. <laughs> like for example, we had a we have sequences where, um, we have the the sequel takes place over uh, Memorial Day Nude Olympics weekend, the new Memorial Day Nude Olympics bash, right? And it's kind of the biggest event of the year, so we had to have one day we did we did a a, a casting call for the the nude five k where we put up a thing on our Facebook page and our True Nudist page asking for extras, and we figured like maybe 50 or 100 would show up, but we had a 1,000 people show up. Oh, jeez. And that actually Dang. pissed off the resort something wicked. Oh, um, yeah. Because there wasn't enough parking, there wasn't enough food and water. We just didn't anticipate nearly that many people showing up. So it does make for a really cool shot where we have an aerial of like a 1,000 people who are naked running. So it's all sorts of production value and we shot it with like seven cameras all over the course well and i picture a drone i picture that also just being like logistically 
you know, you wake up that morning thinking, okay, I need to, I need to prepare myself to coordinate and, and direct 50 people with this megaphone or this PA system or whatever. Uh, the God mic. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which, which is a lot <laughs> different when, when a thousand people show up. When 400 showed up, we were like, we should close the gates. But some people, we, okay. we talked to a girl who flew in from Australia. To right. Be in it. Oh, wow. And then you feel and awful. They, You're like, well, I can't, I can't say no yeah, to you. We can't, yeah. And they, and we heard people coming from Portland and from as far as Florida out to California. And we were like, well, let them in. And we just figured if people are going to come and not get paid, I'm willing to be naked. But signing, we ended up like having the, getting all the photo releases and, and we ended up just making, we had this big, uh, thing of slap bracelets for we both are work with Young Nature's America, right? Um, in the California chapter, right, back, so we just back before it was dissolved, but yeah, yeah. But we ended up taking like we're just writing photo releases on the back of all the slap bracelets, sure, and having people sign them. So if they were wearing a slap bracelet, it meant that they were had a photo release signed, right? Okay, so um, so we I was because uh, we so we've we've chatted with um, our our connection to to naturism and naturist films is is Stefan Duchesne who who came on the show a little while back, um, and he's got a podcast and he talks about the the young naturist of America. So that's just so that I'm getting my bearings right. That's uh, Felicity Jones, right? And and Jordan. And Jordan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've yeah, known Felicity okay. most of my life, actually. And by the way, but not I, not the not not the rogue one Felicity Jones. That's that's no, right, not, not Felicity the same Jones, person. like the great granddaughter of the guy who. Yeah. Who started Rock Lodge, which was the first nudist resort in the United States, I believe. Oh wow! Okay, cool. But yeah, I was, um, <laughs> I was the California uh, or Southern California um, head of Young Naturist America for like a year and a half or two years, I think. Or two years. Yeah. I was the co-head um, yeah. until they. I think they dissolved in what 2018, 2019. Okay. No, I yeah, think it was sure. 2018, I think. It was 2018. I'm pretty sure they, around the time Felicity got pregnant, I think. Okay. Got married. Got married. Got married and with child. So you uh, you, you talked about removing logos um, and stuff like that. And, and I have a question that kind of, uh, I, I don't know, this feels like a smooth segue to me. Um, so we have, there's, there's a scene in, in Act Naturally, uh, which is the staff meeting. And the staff meeting is really just a bunch of people sitting around drinking beer and gossiping, it would seem. Like, it's this isn't, nobody's taking minutes at this staff meeting. Um, and I don't know if, if I was supposed to pick up on this. Who's, who's the Simpsons fan? How did, how did that come about? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, we all are, I think. Oh, okay. All right. Um, because that was a great yeah. moment. I reround and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And was that like it, it's the same font in everything, is it not? Yes, in the buff beer. Yeah. So, the, the so is that a copyright? Th- like, did you? No, it's it's. We had to get permission. Okay. Um, we wrote to Matt Groening at The Simpsons and wow. asked him if we could do it under fair use under parody, and he said, oh, of Interesting. course. Oh, yeah, we awesome. wrote a letter and then got we got clearance on that one. That's yeah, that's not even that's not even like writing Neat. to Fox. That's 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 going to the <laughs> We went straight to the source. Straight to the main man. Yeah. Oh, cool. We wrote a nice right. stuff letter and he, we sent him like proofs, a different different versions of the label and that's the one he approved. Right. 
And his thoughts um, were probably, this isn't the weirdest request I've gotten. <laughs> no, he was totally down with it. He asked to read the script, <laughs> and we sent him a teaser trailer. Nice. It um, was about a minute long. And we did we, the, same, got... the same thing happened with the Act Naturally song, the cover song. Like, right. We had a, a band that I had just directed a couple of music videos for named Company of Thieves. Um, but we had to get permission to use uh, the Act Naturally song, get the mechanical license from it. And so we got to talk to Ringo. Wow. Uh, and Buck Owens' yeah. granddaughter. We didn't know that that's originally a Buck Owens song. Oh, I didn't know that either. And but, but, it, but hmm. Ringo, Ringo, and the Beatles and Apple Records co-own the rights with Buck Owens' granddaughter. Who so it's a co-ownership. But then when Paul McCartney sold the rights to the Beatles catalog over to, to Michael Jackson, yeah, that went with the his rights went with it. But we ended up getting to talk to Ringo. Which is a which is a a, a sale that was like that a, still a religious a religious me. moment for me was getting a phone call from Ringo Starr. Yeah, so you've been on the hey. phone with Ringo Starr. That's crazy. Yeah, well, we ended up getting through to him because his we have a friend a band called the Verve Pipe, which I directed a music video for. The keyboard player for that band, Doug Carella, is in a band called the Carls with a guy named Todd Bowie, who also appears in the soundtrack. But Todd Bowie used to be. Um, uh, uh, Joe Walsh's guitar tech and Joe Walsh plays in Ringo Starr's all-star band so we had to go through Todd Bowie through Joe Walsh to get to Ringo oh so well to hell with having made movies your tombstone will ring will read new one of the Beatles <laughs> like that's <laughs> so it, it not, was, but not I did not expect any... to hear from Ringo but Ringo is like it promotes peace and love and, the, and, it's all, and it promotes body positivity and gets <laughs> yeah it was crazy um, so, but then, then that's some people great. said no. Like I wanted a song called "Candy Says" during that montage where Charlie gets naked for the first time. Spoiler alert: If you haven't seen the film, there's a scene where the lead actress goes skinny dipping for the first time down by the lake. And I really wanted a song called "Candy Says," which is a Velvet Underground song written by Lou Reed. Yes. And I wanted the Blind Melon cover version of it. And we got a hold of Lou Reed through his manager, which happens to be the same manager that Company of Thieves had. And Lou Reed called and said no. <laughs> so but when I, not to when give I any spoilers <laughs> go ahead so we had to come up with something but I, when, when you get the phone call from we read and he's just like I think the script's garbage <laughs> <laughs> and then you're just like okay well sorry yeah Hope well, you, well, okay shit. it's good talking to you Lou Reed I'm a big fan <laughs> <laughs> so not to give any spoilers away about Act Supernaturally but we also have some fun uh new parody stuff that we bring in in Act Supernaturally, which we had a lot of fun coming up with. So oh, cool. Uh, yeah. Oh, cool. Neat. Look forward to seeing that. Which which by the way, uh Pete and I mm -hmm. Pete and I will definitely we're we're formally now accepting, you know, when Act Naturally three uh takes place in Canada and you need two Uber drivers. That's It'll uh, be re the third one will be called React Naturally. Yeah. React Naturally. React Naturally. Nice. We shot a little bit of during the sequel. Oh wow. We did. Oh yeah. I was we, just we had to shoot certain wow. scenes of it. You, I know you were kidding, but no, it's a three it's always been a kind of set up as a trilogy. Oh wow. And that's um, the third shot. one is where where they destroy the ring. And that's Yeah, that's where Frodo yeah. and Um nice. the third one we had to shoot certain elements of uh, there's a post-credit scene which really sets up the third one. Okay, yeah. 
So no, our, if I was both, to talk about it anymore, okay. that would be a no, huge no, spoiler. no, yeah, no, no, no. So but our we had both... to shoot several scenes for React Naturally while we had the actors at this age, while we had the actors available. Sure, sure. So uh, our both, since it's oh, the first neat. one, since it took us four years to get through, <laughs> right, right. This one, so by the, yeah, by this point, your actors have have aged, you know, fifteen years since the first one, and it's like. As, hmm. as as one of them, I'm I'm already you know seven years older than when I first signed on. So. Yeah, for sure, <laughs> or for six sure. Years so and we had so many setbacks on the sequel too. Oh, right? yes, Just yeah. like the sequel started right before we went into production. I got out of the hospital five days before we oh. started shooting. Oh, wow. I got I got hit by a drunk driving porn star while crossing the street to go to South oh. to go on our way to South by Southwest to to do a midnight screening of the first movie. I was getting gas and going to the bank and um, the AMPM Arco stations here in LA don't take debit cards. And I just dropped my assistant off to deposit a residual check. And so I could get per diem for the actors and stuff and rent a van to go to South by. I walked, I Arco only takes debit cards, no credit cards allowed. So I only had a credit card and I stepped off the curb and got hit by a drunk driver who was going the wrong way down a one way. And spent six wow. months in the hospital. And they also happened to be a porn star. Yeah, she was coming on her way home from America's Next Top Gangbang. I mean, it <laughs> it makes a good story, though. Like, Oh, I was hurt real, real bad. Yeah. JP is never at a loss for a good story. And I, but the, the, thing that, the thing that adds insult to injury is I had just gotten out of the hospital two weeks before that from having like the world's most dangerous form of E. coli. Geez. So you just, you basically showed up and said, is my bed still available? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I just got out of the hospital in the Midwest. I got E. coli during, during a screening, um, uh, at, in Providence, Rhode Island, um, at this, this event called nudity in the up space at Brown university, which I never made it to cause hurricane Sandy kicked in. So we made it back to Baltimore where we were just on a radio show. Sure. And uh, and I ended up getting E. coli, like one of the most dangerous forms of it. Like wow. 19 people got it, and they told me there was a 90 to 95% chance I wasn't going to survive. And Holy. out of the 20 people who got it, 19 of them died. And I was like, that's 5%. Yeah, that's... So that's, I'd just damn. gotten out of the hospital from that, and had driven my motor. I was on the no-fly list for a year, because if you contract that particular strain of E. coli, which is E. coli 0157H7HN, the HN being the dangerous part. Hmm. Um and so you get put on the no-fly list for a year. So I bought a motorcycle and drove my motorcycle across country. Yeah, I was going to say being on a no-fly list is is kind of a, a punch in the gonads of uh, when it comes to filming what and I, promoting a film. Like, right. Jeez. And wow. uh, so I I got a motorcycle and drove it back across country and didn't really want to talk about any of the things I'd just been through. But sure. when you get that form of E. coli and you right. get put into the infectious disease ward, that room in the infectious disease ward which is in the basement of the hospital you take one look at that old lead paint that's kind of chipping away from the ceiling and you're like oh, this room needs a oh, paint job yeah and you're like oh this is where they like to put what they call a goner yeah like yeah what what's <laughs> no the... one's gonna get a comment card on this room what's what's killing me the e coli yeah. or the asbestos like what's you right know, and yeah. like there's no yeah. wi-fi signal and you get real tired of mexican soap operas oh for sure well, I mean, I, I don't, speak for I don't know how anyone would get tired of Mexican soap operas. Exactly, exactly. Well, I don't that's, speak Spanish yeah, fluently, so that's part of Well, the that's your own fault. That I gotta, doesn't matter. I, yeah. I, 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 I downloaded a VPN just so that I could get Mexican Netflix <laughs> so that I could watch, you know, Spanish <laughs> soap operas. My, my brother has been saying I need to watch, uh, my brother and his, and his wife have been telling me I need to watch The Reina del Sur. 
So I have to check that one out. So you have it's to on Netflix. you have to translate for your neighbors to the north because we don't speak any Spanish. Oh, that's right. No. <laughs> so uh, right la, after I la, got out of the hospital. No, go ahead. But right after la I got reina out of the hospital. Go ahead, Cons. I'm sorry. To okay. Well, then stop interrupting me. Jeez. Fine. Um, <laughs> la reina del sur just means the queen of the south. Okay. Yeah. See, up here we speak uh, English, a little bit of French, and we we eat cheese and and gravy on our French fries. So that's that's kind of I great. miss poutine. Our <laughs> cultural, yeah, yeah. That and maple syrup. Mm-hmm. We're big into. Yep. See, I went to I went to uh, New York. I, I spent like a, a week in New York, um, and went to my first ever IHOP. We have IHOPs here, but it's like I think maybe there's one in Toronto. There's one at Niagara Falls, but that doesn't count because it's basically across the border, anyways. Um, and, uh, I went to, I went to the IHOP in New York, actually it was New Jersey. So we're lucky we made it out alive, but, um, and we, and, and IHOP had like all these different syrups and what they called maple syrup was definitely not. No, it's definitely, I can't, I have a, I actually have a weird intolerance to high fructose corn syrup. So I don't. And that's all it was. Have any of those ever no, no. and i'm allergic to me i'm allergic to two things maple syrup and ketchup wow so I, have an, I have an allergy what? to maple syrup that's i know it's weird that's i put, yes. I put jelly i put jelly i still on my think pancakes. it's just red number five but that's me yeah she has a theory that's red number five but i've had real maple <laughs> syrup too and it, and it does it as well i get my throat kind of closes up and i start sneezing real bad and get a wow. runny nose and my eyes start to itch my grandpa yeah. had it too, and so does Dang. my dad and my uncles. So you know what, though, you've just described your symptoms, and having you know being Canadian, it still sounds worth it to me. I'm like, whatever. And Every if, now and I, then, I do it. I'll <laughs> take like a Benadryl, and I'll like, and I'll go for it. But yeah. the extent of your maple mm. syrup consumption generally is at IHOP. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. That's for sure. that's. <laughs> It's not the not premier not pancake place. No, for sure. For sure. So, yeah, I basically wasn't going to miss my premiere. Like, I remember being given not a great outlook when I was in the hospital from getting run over. I had a punctured lung, and my, my, my right leg was broken in 26 places. I had a compound fracture on my femur, a severed femoral artery, fractured cervical spine, like perforated colon, perforated liver. And I remember my dad came out and I was in like in and out of consciousness. And like, I heard the doctor say to my dad, he's fighting for his life right now. And I remember thinking, is that what I'm doing in here? Is that what's happening? Jeez. Am I fighting? But mm, um, I wasn't going to miss my premiere. The premiere of the film of the first act naturally was like a couple days after I got out of the hospital. I remember being like, I'm not missing the red carpet. Even though I have to go down it on a walker or a wheelchair, I'm going to be there. So I was not going to wow. miss that. Sure. Sure. So uh, have, that, having survived that, all of that. That's how all of our obstacles started. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And that, that was just a COVID for the entire rest of the shoot. Uh, we lost one of our, we lost our cinematographer pretty early on from stomach cancer. We lost one of our. Uh, colon cancer. Colon oh, cancer. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Colon cancer. Yeah. My, my um, longtime wow. collaborators died of colon cancer after the first leg of the shoot. One of the plates in my leg came out while we were filming. Yeah, that um, was fun. I, had, I have a metal plate on my leg, and I had E. coli, and I'd lost about 50 pounds while I had E. coli, and because that's one of the ways you kill E. coli is starving it out, where you can't eat for six weeks anything except for like an IV. Jeez. And I was thinner than I'd ever been, and so they put a plate in me for a 150 pound man, and I've never I'm, I'm 210 pounds, and I'm when I'm thin. Right. So a little over. 
the yeah, 150 and mark. Yeah, so I took a, <laughs> I was filming a handheld sequence and at this theater scene um, for movie night, and uh, and I I took a step down off of a, a raked auditorium. We were filming in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. At, uh, Conti's parents have like a home theater, and uh, Conti tells the story better than I do at this point because um, <laughs> it was so painful. <laughs> Uh, you want to tell so, the rest of it? I mean, uh, sure. I suppose I'll pick up the reins. Uh, so, you know, all of a sudden, uh, we were on a break and JP was re-rigging everything for uh, a different shot um, or a different angle, actually. And I'm in the other room and all of a sudden I just hear this blood curdling scream, like feminine scream, <laughs> screech, not even a scream, a screech. Uh, like one you would hear in like you know the ring, <laughs> like just and, like a B Queen horror movie. Yeah, one hundred percent. And uh, and I come run running back in, and JP's like sprawled on the ground. Now, of course, because we're shooting, we're all shooting naked. He's naked, sprawled on the floor, holding the camera above his head, like on the tripod, just kind of like. But I didn't break me. the camera or the lens. I saved the camera he, and the lens. Which he I, did not break I the camera or the lens, and we we rushed him to the uh, to the urgent care out there, uh, where they properly diagnosed him with having a swimming screw. Yeah, one of the screws had come out of my leg, and they said, the doctor comes back and goes, well, you have what we technically call a swimming screw. And I was like, is that so a real like, thing? And I was like, so uh, I guess it's true. You do have a screw loose. Wow. But they wouldn't, but I couldn't, <laughs> nice. but I, I was off the no-fly list finally at this point. I'd just gotten off the no-fly list. And we but then you weren't allowed flying. to fly again. <laughs> but I wasn't allowed to fly again because of the pressure. The screw could, could come loose and get into my heart. Jeez. And puncture and so an artery or something. Puncture an artery, or so I had to drive back to. We had to get a a van and drive all the gear back to to LA once again. So we were on the road again, and so, we stopped and filmed wow. in in Austin as long as we are on going to have to drive, and got some cool road trip footage. But, we did. And we then did. shortly after that, wow, um, our cinematographer died, and then one of our executive producers and financiers, a guy named Chaz, who's in the first movie several times. He's the heavy set fellow who kind of is constantly in the background. Okay. Well, he, he, we had written him a, what we also had to rewrite because, uh, after that, because he, we had written him a relatively substantial part, not as far as like screen time, but as far as influ influence in the way in which the uh, movie ended. And so we had, to yeah, we had to rewrite the entire script at that point because had we he had lived one more day we would have had it in a can and the ending he was yeah. very pivotal to the ending where you kind of introduce something at the beginning and at the ending you don't see it coming and it wraps everything up but and he passed away in his trailer while eating lunch he was no spring chicken and he was on kidney dialysis at the time holy um, but shit like so at this point like Dang. does completing this trilogy <laughs> feel like a vendetta against the universe like come hell sort or of. high water <laughs> a little bit <laughs> This bit. is why I have no, no why I, next week I'm starting my MFA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Conzi yeah, started grad school, and I'm finishing up sound mix right now on the on the sequel. Nice. Um, um, which sound on but, these movies is always a pain in the butt, and we shot the sequel on film. And oh. one of the things we didn't take into consideration: the film's actually cheaper to shoot now than digital. Is it really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh. uh, Super Sixteen, anyway. 
Oh, yeah, okay. Super 16 okay. film is cheaper. Well, and 35 is even cheaper than Super 16 at this point. Is it well, really? because the, yeah, because the aspect ratio of Super 16 is the same as widescreen, whereas 35 is not. Right, 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 right. That's yeah, you have to cr- that's really I, interesting. I would I I I mean, my assumption would just be that shooting digital is the way to go, but I guess not. Well, well it the, depends. I mean, film, film negative and film stock has gotten so cheap because it's got to compete with digital. Nobody's using official. it, yeah. Right. Well, there's, there's that. There's cheaper. also, there are fewer people who know how to use it. So that part has been more become more expensive or you just have to learn yourself. Sure. Like me. Uh, <laughs> finding, yeah, finding good film loaders who are willing to work naked was a challenge. So we just learned how to load our own film. Sure. And, um, um, and then on top of it, uh, what a lot of people don't take into consideration are the storage necessities for an entire film. So if you're shooting in 4K or, I mean, even 2K, but especially 4K or above, you're going to need so many more terabytes of storage, both for the actual footage and then for the renders and for editing and all of that, um, that your storage costs become exponentially higher and what we were Hmm. looking at was the storage cost that we were looking at for like a 16 terabyte drive at the time uh was going to be about thirty thousand dollars more than if we shot everything on film and we bought a digital bolex there's a there's the news covers the the news there the local news covers the nude olympics weekend like you've all seen the news stories on nudist resorts mm-hmm. um where the news comes out and covers an event and kind of makes fun of people mm. um but uh we we should we bought a digital bolex to shoot that stuff with and the digital bolex shoots 500 gigs an hour of storage wow and, yeah right and that's not hmm. even that's a 2k and so an alexa the airy camera that shoots I can't even remember, but it's a whole lot more. Yeah. I just use, Storage just use... becomes your issue at that point. Exactly. Right. And, and so the that's film transfer the, the... is still significantly less, and it's the same yeah. quality. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, and, um, and, and then and even drives just... drives fail. Yeah. And well, we've had a lot of drives fail, and the worst case scenario with film is we rescan the negative. If a drive fails when you're shooting on digital... It's gone. It's gone. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then and even I... just hmm. like when you're, when you're talking about data that, that is that big, like... You know, talking about rendering stuff so that you can so that you can scrub through footage and not have it be all choppy so that you can like you're you're just talking about exponentially bigger processing power as well to try to manage these massive files. Exactly. Yeah, I have a twelve co- I have a twelve core with hundred and twenty eight gigs of RAM and it still chokes on and it. It sometimes. still struggles, yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. for sure. <laughs> and uh so- that that taking that into consideration, I'm all I'm forty now. And I don't want to see my ass in 4K with every single pimple and hair. <laughs> like I, just... nev- I never wanted to, and I'm in a lot more of this movie. <laughs> yeah. As, as we get older, the 2K resolution in the six, Super 16, there's a reason The Walking Dead shoots on Super 16, and it's because they don't want to see the visual effects makeup and, and, and the special effects makeup, the seams, so to speak. And, and, and I think that for certain things, there is too much resolution. But, we, but shot also, the first, we shot the first movie on digital, but the flashbacks in the first movie were all shot on film. And this time we basically uh-huh. reversed it. So the whole movie's shot on film, but the flashbacks go to the 80s. And so we're shooting on like super, we shot some of the flashbacks on like DV and high eight to, oh, go, back nice. to, the, to go back to the 80s. Because so you know what? Film. You can tell. You can tell when, when uh, a production 
has simply just slapped a, a, a filter or a plug-in yep. onto their, right? They're like, ah, should we... You know, should we shoot with a should we shoot with a era accurate camera? And some doofus on the set says, "No, no, I've got a I've got a Premiere plugin that will just, you know, yeah. it'll just an overlay and it'll make this thing look." And it never does because it's too and cr- so, and, crisp. In and my clean. opinion, something's real, you feel it. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the Southwest box on the first one, I think, were shot in Super sixteen or Super eight and sixteen mil standard sixteen. Right. But well, not, and I I think that's something that a lot of filmmakers aren't taking into account anymore. Is like you need to look at your medium like what i mean as far as what you're shooting on as part of your paintbrush oh yeah it's because it really does make a difference like i can't watch a period piece like like one that's made now that is in digital and not be like this it just takes me out of it because i'm like right. it doesn't look right it doesn't look gritty enough it doesn't look mm. old enough and and um, some sometimes those right. choices work out and sometimes they don't um right you know, 64 frames mm. per second is far from the biggest issue with the Hobbit films, but it definitely wasn't. It it wasn't the spectacular thing that it was supposed to be. It's like, oh, I'm shooting right. it in 64 frames per second, and and everyone was like, oh, this must be, this is cool, this is going to be wonderful. And then we all sat down and watched the Hobbit, and was like, oh, it's a it's a home video. Why? Why? <laughs> right, right, exactly. And that was one thing I kind of <laughs> regretted about the first movie was shooting it on digital. Um, it was like, it felt more like a TV series to me almost at times it's, and it feels more, mm, the sequel definitely feels more cinematic for sure. Arguably. Well, and yeah, so TV and like, hmm. uh, you know, and, and I mean, it's definitely an indie film, right? Like there's no way getting around that act naturally got an indie vibe to it. Oh, um, for sure. But it's, yeah. it's, it's much lower budget and it's, and, and yeah, and definitely being shot on digital. And so I think, yeah, I think digital... I mean, obviously, there's color correction and grading and everything done in post. Um, but I find digital, even just in and of itself, s- unless you're shooting on like red or or you know something of that caliber, has a has a, a more television uh, or or teen comedy kind of vibe to it well, and, yeah. and the other thing we were we were up against as we already mentioned is the heat factor like when a when a uh, digital overheats it takes an extraordinarily long time for it to cool down if it cools down and has we had been, a couple days on the first know, one where oh. we didn't actually capture anything because wow. it got right, so because, hot so you know hmm. because film cameras are mechanical they don't overheat right and and we didn't have a problem now, of dust. Now the dust. The, emul- the emulsion can get soft, and so we can have problems with that uh, on the film. D- dust um, became a problem with scratching dust, negative at times. Dust and scratches can be a problem, but Shooting you're not going to have. But water, dust, and heat are like the three biggest nemesises of computers, which is what those digital cameras really are. Hmm. And so yeah, with oh, the yeah. water, the heat, and the sand, hmm. it, we there were some days where we just. We're like, well, go to the pool because it's 120 degrees out here before we turn the AC off. Sure, sure. Hmm. Uh, so I've got a bunch more questions, but uh, do you have anything, Pete? Yeah, I mean, the one thing that kind of keeps going in my mind is, like, you, you're telling us all these kind of setbacks, and I feel there there are setbacks that anyone can have in a project that you kind of can wake up in the morning and you can kind of wonder what... What, am I like? Should I continue doing this? And definitely, some of these setbacks you're talking about are, are bigger than a project. Like they're life-threatening, like life 
altering, life shaking. So they're, well, we, they're we, at a different uh, scale, but sorry, I, go I'm, ahead. Sorry. I'm just curious, like, that's okay. Like, I'm just curious, uh, were there points where something like what, what infused you with energy? Like, was it like Brady said, like at some point you're just saying, screw you universe, I'm going to win this battle. Or was there something like, did someone reach out like a fan reach out and just say, Hey, looking forward to this. And, and, and it just gave you a spring in your step or someone that you work guys work with. And you just kind of felt like, yeah, like this is my, this is my crew. We, we, we feel strongly in this project. Like what, what woke you up some mornings? Like, I, I'm just curious. It gets hard at times. And like we, I, we were living, we got a, a, we rented a house out in big bear, um, which is like much closer to the, to Olive Dell. And it's kind of equidistant between Olive Dell and deep Creek hot springs. So we could have less travel time to get to the resort. Um, and it's a lot cheaper to rent out there. Um, and then 2017, there was a big fire and it sent a 13 foot flaming tree limb through our ceiling and, and that's when, for me, <laughs> wow, that's for when like, morale got real low for me. And Conti got really sick during the yeah. production too, and was on three rounds of chemotherapy. That's like something from a Final Destination film. Like that's yeah, it, it felt it, like the it world did was feel against. A little fi- it did feel a little Final Destination. One of the yeah. reasons I'm building my own home right now is because we lost our home in that fire. Holy, um, so my I goodness. Took, took the insurance money and and I bought a vacant parcel of land in L.A. And I'm building a container home, so those that'll combust before it burns. So I mean, my my <laughs> debut film is going to be the biopic of J.P. Riley because that's oh yeah for sure. The I wish yes. someone were making a like behind the scenes of this and and because um, well, it just it, it all seems made up to like I mean yeah we I, have a lot does, of behind like the scenes footage. Yeah. We started kind of rolling a GoPro all the time because um, the last couple years, let's see, in the last <laughs> few years, I ended up um I was in a clinical trial for a medication i ended up uh getting thrush uh so bad so bad that i was supposed to be intubated and um should have died i didn't die uh because of uh some connections that jp's father had at the time and found the correct medication because i'm allergic to antifungals and then I had to have like what four emergency eye surgeries um, that summer, uh, so it was it was tough. Uh, and um, uh, JP was diagnosed with a, a form of epilepsy, which is really difficult to deal with. And um, that came from blunt force trauma from getting hit by a car. So, um, so, so the best piece of advice that I could possibly give you, the best the wisdom that I can, you know, give give to you, is if there's ever a day in your schedule where you know you've got it all lined up, all the actors are on set, and and we're gonna get some key mm-hmm. shots. If it looks like there's even the slightest chance that there may be lightning that day, just push it off, man. Don't. Oh, right. Like, yeah. Honestly. <laughs> Don't and be I here. wrote a thunderstorm into the script. Oh, that's that's which which I cut Eesh. because it was going to be too expensive to get a rain bar. Yeah, see, that's it. That's then, that's one of those then, film then things. We had, but then we had a thunderstorm, so we went During on the shoot. Oh, you still got <laughs> it, which is fantastic. Which I woke up the morning. It was like the morning that we were supposed to shoot a scene just with Susan May Pratt and, and the the girl who plays Christy, the burn victim, and and Trevor, the bartender. And I woke up mm. and it was pouring rain, and I was like, "Well, shoot's canceled." And I started to be to sending out an email to everyone: "Just go down to the restaurant, and we'll just cancel the day." And then I was walking down to the restaurant. Well, I, and I, breakfast I and stopped I like, you. 
And I was like, wait a minute, it's raining and it's pouring and there's mudslides. Like, someone get the cameras and some trash bags. We're filming this shit. Nice. Well, because isn't that one of the like golden <laughs> rules of film is that you never, you never write weather into a script until weather starts happening, and then you weather, weather children and animals. Yeah, yeah I just exactly. can't believe it took me like a good forty-five minutes to realize that we like. Thank you, God, for participating in our film today. Thank you, thank you, and and please let this not be one of those days where you're trying to kill me. Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> yeah but it, to answer your question about like what keeps you going, um, largely, um, fiscal responsibility to our investors. Sometimes, like um, mm. the people who three of our investors on the first movie reinvested the net profits into the sequel for various reasons um, um, of their own. And I know that one of our investors has pretty much all of his money tied up in this. And the reason he did, he decided to do that, he was going through a real gnarly divorce at the time of the sequel started. And, and his ex-wife was clean, taking him to the cleaners. And he said that, like, if we don't reinvest my money in this, she'll get it. Yeah. And I don't want her to get everything. Mm. So, like, there's a, a fiscal mm. responsibility, too, that I feel like, uh, you know, I don't there, want to waste half is, a million right. There's that. I, I also see million dollars of someone else's money, you know. Sure. Well, and that's that's one of the reasons right. why, like financing films. That's one of the reasons why, even though we have uh, around the world, we have theaters slowly opening. Um, you've got stuff like China. China's not showing anything longer than two hours, um, and so you've got a lot of films that are pushing their their release back by like a year because people yeah. people mistakenly assume. You know, that when Disney sets out to make their next MCU film and the budget on this film is, uh, you know, $250 million, a lot of people think Disney's just pulling that $250 million out of their back pocket. Studios, studios even, even big studios, don't have this money lying around. And so yeah. that's why these. That's why if if a, if a if a film can't get a proper theatrical release, it's not going to be able to pay back the money and interest that it owes uh, to to these big financers. And that is absolutely. And, and don't even when you look at that budget of two hundred and fifty million, that is not even an accurate number because there's another usually two hundred million or so in P and A, which is prints and advertising. Oh yeah, yeah. That, that doesn't include it, promotional right. stuff at all. Yeah, those typically. budgets you see yeah. on like IMDb Pro don't include the P&A budget, which is usually these days just as much, if not more, that yeah. that film has to clear the hurdle of. Oh, for sure. For sure. And that Interesting. We, Interesting. we ended up paying back most of our investors based on our small theatrical release um, of like five or six theaters. I think we made like $416,000 on our first 19 days in theaters. Right. Um, and that is what paid back the investors who didn't want to reinvest and it paid back it also paid off like all of my credit cards because i had like 50 grand sitting on credit cards sure um from the first movie Ooh. and i still had that on the sequel too that, and so that that just that mm -hmm. sentence alone i think yeah. maybe gave me a heart palpitation that was uh... and that interest had to quit <laughs> the budget goes up every month oh, oh yeah. sure oh yeah. sure yeah you're sitting yeah, there sure. it cost you money to have that sitting there yeah it was a, it's uh yeah it's it's a, a high stress factor. Yeah, and so that's part of the thing that gets up in the morning is just wanting to pay back the interest on your own credit cards and yeah, stuff. I'd like to not declare bankruptcy, mm -hmm. so I need to I need to keep pushing here. <laughs> but I also, right. I also think there's an element of like being a crazy independent film maker uh, because <laughs> um, 
there's a level of uh, just tenacity that you have to have in order to want to do it in the first place and sure. then be faced with, I mean, cause you know, not every day is a catastrophe, uh, but you have, no, when these movies are like, fun, they're super fun. Like when these movies are fun to make, it's like injecting pure joy into your soul. Oh, sure. You wake up, you, you, you rap on a day and you go, I can't believe this is what I get to do. Yeah. There yeah. are days like that, but when they're bad, cool. it's really, really bad. And there's nothing actually that kills morale more than when you cast somebody new or you've cast somebody and they end up not enjoying the experience of naturism or they realize that cameras are rolling and people are going to see it and they don't want to come back. Sure. And that, that's we, happened. We a had a lot of, that. We had a lot of that. almost more than anything else. And caused more some, rewrites. And, and, and when um, someone's like, I don't like doing this and I don't want to do it anymore. And like, I'm uncomfortable. And sure. You can't be like, well, you signed up for it. You just, you don't want to be that person. But like, <laughs> If, right. But you also feel a little bit like deceived because usually we take people out to the resort first and like get them comfortable. But as soon as cameras start rolling, it changes things. Right. It, How many um, people are going to see me naked? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they even like they even look at the numbers on the first movie sometimes, and they're like, "Wait." How many million people saw this? So they yeah, just looking yeah, at yeah. the numbers on the trailer where there's like eight million views on well, the trailer, like, I, and they're like, "Oh God." <laughs> I had the distinct advantage in that, like, um, I. I was on uh, The Young and the Restless as a kid. So, like, you know, the idea of having 10, pe 10 million people watching me didn't ever bother me. So the real question was, like, am I okay with being naked on, naked in front of all those people? And um, actually, due to uh, my experiences with, with – I have a, a psoriatic arthritis, which is an autoimmune form of arthritis similar to rheumatoid. But, you know, I'd been in rooms with doctors – so many times where I felt more vulnerable and more crit critiqued than I ever did with any naturist that I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm fine with it. Yeah. So that was kind of my deciding factor in getting involved in the first place. So uh, this actually segues perfect and in, perfectly into a question I have. Um, so our, our, our main cast, right. And I'm going to, I'm going to use, I've got an IMDB page set up here, but for the, for the sake of the listeners, um, I'll use character names because the audience is going to know. If you've seen the film, you're going to know the characters' names more than you'll know the actor and actress's names, right? So we've got we've got our, uh, people like Corey, and, who's my favorite part of the movie, by the way, uh, and Trevor and and Charlie and Leah and everyone of of our main cast. What percentage is Actors and actresses who are having to get naked for a film versus actors and actresses who also happen to be naturists. Almost everybody who was a speaky part in the first movie was an actor. Wow. Um, Which adds another uh, layer of, of, of difficulty, right? It, because you have to... Oh, scheduling them is difficult. Yeah. Alone. Um, like this Corey, the person you mentioned, um, this guy named Alan Cox. He's Brian Cox's son. Um, and we have the same manager, but Alan is on a show and he's British, first of all, and straight. Um, but he was on a show on the BBC. Um, and he's also was in a movie called the dictator, which we had to stop filming at one point for him to go off and shoot the dictator. Right. With Sasha right, Baron right. Cohen. Yeah. 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 And, mm, um, so, and we have to stop and let actors go shoot their TV shows. Like we had to let Josh go back and shoot Friday night lights. Who plays and, Trevor. Unless you Unless you can match what they're going to make on that show. Yeah, yeah the like SAG dictates that like, if you can pay the actor yeah. what they're getting paid to do their TV show, which 
we pay them pennies yeah. compared to what they make on a network right. television then, then you get into a, a family ties back to the future scenario exactly, exactly. so yeah. we kind of <laughs> have to that's one of the reasons we shoot when we shoot is because they're on hiatus because the upfronts are happening in new york which is when all the ad time is bought and sold for the current season of television right um, right right it's one of the reasons we only shoot in may because we know that all the actors are going to not be on their television shows <laughs> like all, susan may pratt yeah. they're all looking susan for pratt who plays christy lerner she was the time when we shot this movie she was on Masters of Sex on Showtime, so we were shooting around that. And she was also on Cinemax's Outcast, so we were shooting around that. Right. And um, they were basically shooting around actors' television schedules as well, because sure. every yeah. almost all of them are in network series. Sure. Um, yeah. And some actors are not back in person in the sequel. Some of them are back in voice only. Right. Uh, but so everyone's back, but some people are only back in voice only because the movie's set during Memorial Day weekend, but it's shot during Corey's Corey, the the, the actor who, who you're talking about, the yeah. chef. Yeah. It's his big gay wedding mm. in Las Vegas. So half the staff is gone oh, during cool. the busiest weekend. So we shot some yeah. of the stuff in Vegas where we show the Vegas in the hotel room, but like mm. those actors are are only in Vegas, so we got them done in a day. Right. So, I mean, um, so that was another question. Are both, uh, in person, are both Katie and Liz back for, for Acts uh, Supernaturally? Liz is back in a big way. It's Charlie's movie. Right. Um, the, the, okay. It was always kind of set up to be, the se- The second movie is going to be Charlie's film, and the third movie sort is going to be, yeah, and the third movie <laughs> is going to be, the third movie is Leah's film, Katie okay. Hall's Okay, film. cool. They're both cool. in it to a degree, but Leah has a very small role in this one. Sure. Um, and Charlie has a very big role, and Concy's role is fairly large. She's kind of the the, the antagonist. She plays Rusty, the boozy lawyer's daughter, who is um, home for equally as boozy, <laughs> equally as boozy. <laughs> Apple, but she is um, kind of home for the summer, working in the, the in the bar, which is the last place she should be working. Uh, um, okay. And she kind of her objective is to get kicked out of the resort so she can go work on her documentary during the summer. I'm so really she is actively to trying to get Please. thrown out and piss people off, like filming them without permission. Um, you know, <sighs> just basically being a little agent of chaos. Sure. sure. Oh, yeah. I, I, I do everything I can possibly do to piss people off. But in the end, I end up saving everything because I'm awesome. Sure. <laughs> but uh, not intentionally. She ends up kind of saving the day by being an asshole. Yeah. Right. Uh, Pete, you had a, hmm. you had a question about the origins of the story and I've got a, a, a yeah, I'm kind of wondering a couple things on that. So why don't you ask that question? Mm. Sure, yeah. Well, I, I'm just curious, just with, uh, you know, the origins of this story, is this just the the characters that are brought to life through the story, is it just something that the creative team just kind of spitballed and threw against the wall and that's kind of what made for a good story? Or are some characters kind of based on truths on people you've met or experiences in actual parks? Or I, I'm just curious if there's any it's truth a, to any of the characters. It's an amalgam of both. Like all the, there's some truth in all of the characters. Like the, the boozy lawyer is like a combination of a real lawyer who is at my parents' resort, and a little bit of my mom is in that character. Um, oh, neat! And my best friend growing up. Um, Eric, who passed away um, the night we got financing for the first movie um, of a drug overdose. Uh, he, uh, there's a little bit of Corey in him, uh, some of the things he used to say. And if you even look at so some of the characters' names are a little bit of foreshadowing. If you look at Charlie Tillerman's last name, a Tillerman is someone who steers the ship. 
So you kind of know by looking at her name alone that she should probably going to be the one who takes over the resort. So what about in the first film, though? Like, I mean, just just from, excuse me. A little of it is based off of my parents' experience with nudism, but it's very loosely based um, on how my parents kind of took over a resort. And now they run a resort down in Sanibel called Sanibel Naturists. Sure. Because I just think one of the like one of the real strengths about the story is you know in a film of this caliber it would be really easy to accidentally have two-dimensional characters it would be really easy to to accidentally have um flat hollow feeling characters that was something that i was concerned about in the when writing the first movie is like at worst they're stereotypes and at best they're archetypes I think. right see but and but i think it's so i hmm. i think it's really well done and pete and i uh so this is kind of a a, a two two episode series where we're going to release this uh this interview as an episode of our podcast and we're also going to sit down just pete and i and 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 review the film um but but something something to me that i find so interesting is like you've got these two my no, my notes here is when we're first introduced to Charlie and Leah what pops into my head initially is Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau as the odd couple you've yeah. got you've got Though one there is a li- uh, there was a bit of grumpy old men yeah 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 cuz you've some got some of my someone... favorite movies are lethal weapon yeah. and grumpy old men and like i love the 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 uh, the brick and fracking yeah. duo there's mm. something that like i very consciously but it even, you know, uh, John McClane and Al Powell from Die Hard was part right. of it. There's an homage to those characters, right. definitely. And but I, but I think you do. And we continue that in in the sequel too, uh, just as in a different way. Right. Yeah, there's a different buddy co- combo in the sequel. Sure. There's two. There's really two buddy combos in the sequel. Okay. Um. With some new characters we introduced, like Charlie has a boyfriend who's got who's one of the a great actor named Tariq Lowe, who I think is pretty much going to be, you know, a young Denzel Washington, and I think you know, I think he's I think he's one of the best young actors out nice. there. Nice, cool. And I was really glad to get him. And so we have several. There's like more pairs of of actors in the sequel, but right. yes, there was something. That was very consciously set up. Well, I mean, hats or uh, clothes off to the, <laughs> the the writing process because, yeah, I, you know, I think I think you I think a good job was done of avoiding a stereotype um, because, yeah, like you know, you've got Leah who's very straight laced when we first meet her. She seems very, you know, she's got a schedule. Uh, her apartment or her house is much cleaner. Everything's organized. Very type um, A. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, very professional right. when she answers the phone, the way she conducts herself. And and Charlie's almost a polar opposite. She's like, a, you know, she almost gives off like a, a, a punk rock. You know, well, she's very, it's in the film. She's very anti-establishment, right? She's she's kind of got that that the clash kind of biker chick free spirit kind of feeling to her. And, and, and I think the film does an incredible job of avoiding falling into those stereotypes because based off that first introduction of the two, my assumption would have been that Charlie would have embraced the nudity before Leah. 
but that's not how it that you know that's not how it plays out and and so to me that's so interesting and it adds such a layer because you know all of a sudden you start asking yourself okay but but what are charlie's hang-ups and 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 maybe maybe this tough girl act is just that it's this tough girl act which you start to see sometimes uh, in nudism itself the people who talk a big game are usually the ones who are kind of the most afraid once they get there. Sure. Okay. That's like, interesting. We see that okay. a lot in like first timers, nudist resorts where people come like, I'm fine with being naked. I have no problems. And then they're like, those are sometimes the people who are the most scared to drop the towel, so to speak. Sure. The ones who kind of talk a big game. And, and, uh, and sometimes it's the people who say like, I don't know if I'll be comfortable with this who are like within a few minutes, most comfortable with it. Right. Yeah. So would you, would, um, would and you, also in this, and we also in the sequel we get to see those roles change a little bit because you because Charlie has to become the owner of the resort where she is the more put together or struggles with becoming the organized professional owning running a business and we get to see Leah's true colors a little bit where if you think about it Leah is a fifty fifty partner who stands to lose nothing if sure. if Charlie does a good job and runs the resort well she makes half the money and if Charlie fails epically. Leah gets a tax deduction and she's already rich, so she gets yeah. to save more money. Yeah. So Leah's true colors kind of get hmm. revealed a little bit more in the sequel where she has absolutely nothing to lose by saying yes and Charlie kind of has everything to right. lose. Right. She 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 she's already hmm. lost out on her half a million because they're not selling. But mm -hmm. but yeah, but she's that's true as a business partner, she's uh she can kind of just sit back and and let the cards play themselves out. And some people who are already wealthy are happy to take a tax loss. Sure. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so she wins either way. So would you would you say the film would you say Act Naturally is a a like talking about about nudists and naturist resorts? Would you say that the film accurately portrays uh, naturism and naturism resorts, or or are some aspects of the story intentionally exaggerated? It depends which nudist resort you're going to, because like it's a it's a fairly accurate representation of the one that I grew up going to, and it is much more kind of apropos to the way Bear Oaks runs its railroad, where you have like a few minutes to get comfortable disrobing, and if you don't get comfortable, there's the door. Which is which um, is Stefan's uh, park that we were talking about earlier. Right. Yeah. And that's and that's kind of how my parents run their railroad. Sure. Where a, like, a clothing op clothing optional versus non clothing optional. Nudity right. required. And and when it's cold and stuff, yeah, obviously we're not insane. We get dressed when it's cold, but you know, it's still the you don't get fully clothed. You put on like a big thick robe or like you know, you wear like a hoodie um to warm up. But like it's not it's you don't want to come down to the clubhouse in full attire. Sure. Sure. Unless and you're that's, on your way unless you're on your way out. You know, like yeah, unless you're leaving. Oh, okay, yeah. right. Getting in your car and yeah, which is a but which is me, a line in Act Naturally, right? She says, yeah. "Really, coat hangers," and uh, everybody arrives. In everyone, clothes. yeah, everyone arrives wearing clothes. Yep. And also, I try and write a movie that I won't get sick of seeing because I have to watch it more than anybody. over and over and. I mean, over. I, oh, right. I did I did over seventy five clothing optional screenings just at nudist resorts before we even get into film festivals or like you know spot checking dvds for festival submissions or even editing it yeah i've got to watch these movies thousands of times mm -hmm. um hmm. so i try to write something that i want to see yeah so i try to write elements into like like buddy buddy comedies and the movies that i enjoyed growing up watching like um you know there's an element of of 
there's some homages even that are pretty subtle to like the Big Lebowski if you pay close attention. Sure. Hmm. Um, and there's homages to to Clerks in there. Basically, when I wrote the movie, I kind of pitched it as Clerks at a nudist resort with Walter and I can or, uh, see, with, yeah, with Dante and Randall. Yeah, there you go. Hmm. Um, so I've only got Pete. I've only got one question left, um, and it's not really act naturally related. So, do you have anything that you <laughs> want to throw a sprinkle? You want to throw on the top of this cupcake before we? Hmm. I think I think that's ultimately it. This conversation is weaved in a lot of interesting spots. I mean, and I'm, we've already suckered them into coming back. So yeah, I mean. well, and that's and that's what one of my questions was going to be was just telling us, you know, what's next. And you guys have not only hinted at a sequel, but a sequel to the sequel, a and, sequel, sequel, and just oh. you've given us some some you've sprinkled some some teasers here just to kind of give us an idea of what's coming. So that's that's definitely fascinating. Um, yeah, I think, I think I'm, 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 my question is, what is your question, Brady? My question is for JP. Uh, can you tell me in a couple of, uh, quick sentences, have you ever seen the movie Ocean's Eleven? And, and what is, and it. what is that story? I worked on Ocean's Eleven. I'm yeah. in that movie. I, I, yeah, it was, sorry, it was a loaded question. <laughs> okay. Um, I am in Ocean's I was actually, that's the first no, the second big set I was ever on, um, a girl who I went to film school with got mono um, during the Chicago leg of it, and I went to go fill in and ended up kind of being Steven Soderbergh's intern for a little bit during the Chicago leg. My and God. I worked on Ocean's 12 wow. as well. Everyone in the film industry is friggin' on their last leg and half on their deathbed. <laughs> like <laughs> we, we work ourselves ragged. Yeah, apparently. Wow. It is an, an 18, 20-hour day that will mess wow. with your immune system. Um, and if you can't survive on four hours sleep, but, uh, I think Ocean's 11 is a movie without a good guy. I think it's like, kind of like Jaws where everybody's the shark. Oh yeah. Hmm. It's kind of how I looked at it when it was filming. And I even asked Steven at one point, like, who's the protagonist in this film? And he kind of said, nobody, nobody. <laughs> They're <laughs> all wow. villains. Right. Yeah. Cool. Um, cool. So yes, I, I loved working. Ocean's Eleven and um, the Wilco documentary. I had an internship at Wilco, and I worked on. I ended up working pretty closely alongside Sam Jones on the "I Am Trying to Break Your Heart," and those were that was really my film school. Right. And I kind of got hooked by being in the movie Hoosiers. Hmm. Um, I was in the film Hoosiers when I was a little kid, and oh, cool. I played Dennis Hopper's grandson. Oh, and cool. And I've, if you look at the Hoosiers 30-year anniversary DVD was just released, um, and I'm on the back picture of the, the Blu-ray. Right. So oh, you can see cool. a, a, a 10-year-old JP sitting in the bleachers. Jeez. Well, yeah, and, 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 and that's and, where I got really hooked. And you know what? I resonate with your, your you know, referring to, to being on that set as, as your film school. Because, like, <laughs> I, I recently... Um, turned down i had applied to a couple different post-secondary programs um because i you know reached my reached my late 20s and i was like "Ah, i don't know what to do i'll just go back to school um and uh, i turned down an offer for um ontario's most prestigious uh film program and i i did so on the advice of a couple of people so i've 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 been making uh, I've been fooling around with a camera and Adobe Premiere and, and script writing and doing all these things uh, for like 11 years now. 
and and all self-taught for the most part. And someone someone said to me, they said, you know what? They said, honestly, at this point with what you've done, you you'd be better off to take the money that you would spend on school and use it to finance a feature length film and just do it. Just 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 do it and learn and that's how you, you know, start your networking, get yourself out there and and just learn. That's kind of initially what I had planned to do. I was a percussion major who was on a scholarship and I got hit I was in a car accident where a ninety one year old Alzheimer's patient kind of escaped from his group home and had a head on collision with me, shattering my wrist and taking me out of percussion. And I decided to kind of start taking film classes electively and um, and took an intro to film class where I was originally going to try and make a feature. And I took some very sage like advice from my cinematography professor. And he said, try and make like a 10 minute thing first and see if you can just tell a good 10 minute story and then have a feature sure. script ready to go based on yeah, it. Yeah. And that 10 minute story ended up being about three and a half minutes of silent film. It ended up being like a narrative music video. Um, and I thought I had kind of failed. I was like, I was supposed to be a 10 minute talkie, but our sound sucked. And like a lot of the scenes were bad. And so I, I thought I, I thought I'd failed. And, but, and at the urging of my professor, he's like, no, there's a good story in there. It's just not the story you thought you captured. Yeah. Yeah. And so I kept working on it over the summer that year and I submitted it to South by Southwest where I won a jury award. And then I won the Chicago independent film festivals like um student category at the chicago international and it won some festivals and got in and then the second thing i ended up directing was a, a major label music video for rca so if i i think about that sometimes where if i just would have given up and taken failure where my life would be today and i have no idea sure. and i also don't know that if i would have tried to make a feature i would have probably fallen on my face even more because i couldn't even at that point in time knew enough to make a good short Sure. Um, that was that was eleven minutes long and of talking. Like my sound was just atrocious on my that. God. The batteries died. I'm, so I'm gonna I'm gonna email well, you some I'm, paperwork and it's it's gonna look like I'm asking you to sign over the rights to your life story, but just don't <laughs> just sign it. Like, don't, don't read it. Just don't it. read it. Just you know. And, I'm assuming a standard release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just so, whatever. Like I had a very different. I mean, uh, you're talking about sec secondary education or post-secondary education i'm going back right i'm starting next week on my mfa in dramatic writing and it's not it was a really tough decision for me but i finally decided that i really wanted to impart some of my wisdom to uh a the next generation of filmmakers um which is why i'm going to the mfa uh but i'm getting paid to do it so i'm cool with that <laughs> and oh, yeah. um i also grew up in the entertainment business uh my mom was uh the head writer of for the Young and the Restless and the Bold and the Beautiful, uh, for 42 years, I was on soap up. I was on the Young and the Restless as two different roles. Once when I was five for 30 episodes, and uh, as a character named Betsy Sanderson, and then as another character when I was 12 named Heather Lynch. See, so you're uh, starting out with a Rolodex. You're starting out with so, yeah, some networking already. So I would also I, mm -hmm. I would also like to include the fact that like in my first short film that that one night first made. I ended up getting the grandmother from Titanic, the old Rose, oh, in yeah. that movie as the lead before uh, Titanic came out. Gloria something, right? What? Yeah, her name's Gloria. Yeah. And, but, I, but Titanic hadn't come out yet, so I finished that film around the time Titanic was coming out. And she told me she couldn't do it on certain days when I cast her. But I put up a little flyer at the Piven Theater Workshop, Jeremy Piven's mom 
has a theater workshop right across the street from Northwestern. And I put up a little flyer that said, old, like to act, want to be in a lead. Right. Which <laughs> and that's amazing because a little, little backstory, you know, on us, um, I don't, I, yeah, I keep flip-flopping on this. I don't think Titanic is my favorite movie of all time. Um, but when I, when I look at what they achieved, what they built, how they achieved it, um, Jim Cameron's dedication and, and, and how everything was done. I'm, I'm, I think I sit on the, uh, the position that, you know, second to act naturally, Titanic is probably the greatest film accomplishment of all time. It's up there. Yeah. It's up it's... there. I think Terminator two holds up too. I just showed oh, yeah. T2 to my intern, uh, a co- my intern um, Tonto, as I call him, but his his real name's Roman, but I just call him Tonto. But we just showed him T two a couple of weeks ago, and uh, so many cultural things. Up. Yeah, hasta la vista, baby. Talk to the hand. Like so many cultural things that we still. And the visual back. effects vocabulary <laughs> just moving. Like the visual effects that were in T two aren't any worse than the ones that are that were in Terminator Genesis or the the one from last year where no. Sarah Connor's back. And they're definitely a leap over the first Terminator cuz oh, that's oh, that's Genesis, downright yeah. janky at times. Yeah, yeah, it is it's apples and you can't even compare <laughs> but, it, apples but I mean, you know, you could say different. I I would say similarly like Star Wars with with their use of models, the the, the original Star Wars with their use of models was uh had went made leaps and bounds in that arena and we wouldn't have been able to do even doing act naturally one in 2010 when we were doing all the visual effects for that we still had to use a a visual effects house like zoic yeah um and on this one we were able to kind of put a green screen up in my living room and have actors come in and and act amongst some of the actors in this sequel have never even met each other right. yeah. in scenes together oh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. we were able to do green screen stuff where we could work around people's schedule. We just have an actor come over and we were able to get a lot of extras and just oh, by yeah. having actors come in and sit in front of a green screen yeah. naked and pepper in all these naked extras yeah. um, which for is, the new Olympics. Which is all and I can do that all on. at home now. Yeah. And I've had to learn, a, I've had to very much expand my visual effects sure. vocabulary. But like, And I do watch some of Jim Cameron's tutorials on Avatar and stuff and on Titanic of how he, because he did a lot of those visual effects himself when he was out of money oh, on yeah. his Avid at home in Malibu, if you've yeah. read his the book on yeah, how oh, the yeah. Titanic was made. I have, trust me. And <laughs> and I kind of, I do read that every now and then for inspiration when I just want to give up. Right. Um, I, I look at Jim Cameron, I'm like, well, he didn't give up on Titanic, and like he was cutting at home in his spare bedroom on an Avid, and I'm literally cutting in my container now. Go, going like, back to Going back to my <laughs> my statement that I think there is just some of the tenacious uh, filmmaker insanity in, in us that, that causes us to continue uh, having the endurance to do so. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and you can't start a crazy contest yeah. with an Irishman named Riley and win. Like I, we are <laughs> stubborn and hard headed as they get. So we don't like to lose. Uh, I <laughs> um, like that. Well, guys, uh, I guess the only other thing to talk about is if anyone's listening to this and they haven't seen the film Act Naturally, or they have and desperately need to see it again, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, well, for the time being, it's on the iTunes Store, Amazon, um, Vudu, which is Walmart's um, video portal. And as of in the first week of September, they'll be able to get a Blu-ray edition of Act Naturally with a digital download to the sequel 
if they buy it straight out of the gate where you'll be the first people to see it that way they get a download code where they'll be able to get like a feature length making of doc a soundtrack and a sequel so that's going to be a lot of bang for your buck and that's going to be on amazon in the first week of september yeah shit count me in for that that's that's a great and that deal. way we're also kind of catching people up if they buy the blu-ray they'll be able to get and they haven't seen the first one they'll be able to see the first one and then see the second one as well mm-hmm. yeah get your sure. back get your backstory and your history and then you yeah. get bombarded then, with a whole new story and if, and if you want to <laughs> and if anyone wants to cut the making of to the sequel we haven't even really started that yet but it's going to be like heart of darkness oh, God. The, the, the making of the sequel might be better so if anyone wants to start practicing that i will ship you a terabyte of footage <laughs> if, if you like really depressing like maybe stories. a petabyte a petabyte yeah that's uh that's <laughs> Uh, that'd be something to cut your teeth on for sure. But well, we do, appreciate, we do yeah. appreciate being asked to talk because we'll talk about ourselves all all day long. We're filmmakers. Well, you certainly will. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm a press whore. Yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes you gotta be. Sometimes you gotta. Oh, be. Yeah. yeah. Nowadays, you have to be equal parts PT Anderson and PT Barnum. Yes. Yeah. There you go. I like in order that. to kind of cut through the noise. I like that. Well. We will uh, we'll post a bunch of the links down below on where people can go and watch the first one, um, and then we will when we have you back on, we'll do the same thing for. We are currently the in the middle of Act Naturally movie is down, um, but we are currently in the middle of building actually tonight ActSupernaturallyMovie.com, which will be both the website for the first one and the second one. That's exciting. That's exciting. And then the want... third one will come out, cool. and there will be the box set with the steel books and the you know. The, yeah, and you know, each, coffee each, table books. The first, the coffee yeah, table books. With like a free towel. The first, the first thousand people to right. buy it will have a will have a, a a frame from the film and a little laminated. You know, there's those yeah. the nice little touches. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. Um, of course. You know, Anytime. Yeah, well, that's would we'll take you up on that. I always, I, people always say, you know, I say, oh, thanks for having me over, and people say, oh, anytime, and I'm like, okay, like, you know, three weeks from now when sure. I show up at four a.m., I'll be awake. Eat those <laughs> words. <You're welcome>. <laughs> <laughs> I I might not be awake, but it, but you know, uh, I I I'll call you back. Yeah. Well, and I've got, <laughs> we've, I mean, we've got your contact information now too. Yeah. So cat videos yeah. and chain letters and all the. All the shit you didn't sign up. Well, thank you guys so much. We're uh, we're looking forward to having you back, um, and looking forward to to diving headfirst into the sequel and reviewing that as well. Um, So yeah, until next time. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks very very much, guys. So much. You know what just occurred to me? What? What? We get a lot of any any of the times that we do an episode that has something to do with naturism mm-hmm. because of our friend Stefan Duchesne mm. um, having been on an episode with us in the past. Sure, uh, these episodes seem to get uh, they get a lot of traffic. They do. Yep, and they get a lot of traffic from people who aren't our normal traffic. For sure. So, what percentage? If you had to venture a guess, Ooh. what number? From zero to a hundred percentage, mm-hmm. do you think of the people who who just listened to that interview mm-hmm. listen to it naked? <laughs> I maybe I should have known where that question was going, but I honestly didn't. Like I was so so intrigued where what percentage I was going to be guessing, right. but I, I really should have seen that coming. Um, do you have Do you have a guess? 
No. Just throw a number out there. I, Just throw a number out. Um, 42%. Oh, I'm going as high as 70. Yeah. Yeah, I think 70%. It's hard to know, right? But. Yeah, well, because we've agreed not to do that survey anymore. <laughs> because I don't think people were answering honestly. Right, but, no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but thank you for listening. Thank um, you. That was a hoot and a half. If you kind of half remotely enjoyed that, uh, there are all kinds of links um, in the link box, the, the 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 show notes. There's all kinds of links in the show notes before below that if you click on, uh, we'll give you a deeper dive into our personal lives, including um, a hidden link with our social insurance numbers <laughs> and um, driver's license numbers, uh, a printable version of our passports, mm. stuff like that. So there's, a, you know, Easter eggs for the whole family, check, I think. Check them out, ladies and gents. Check them out. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but no, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, those are all the best ways to find out what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, we review films and we yes. give uh, we give a lot of say as to what we're going to review to uh, our listeners. So if you want to get in and, and have your say and cast your vote on all of those, then the social media links below are the way to do that. Yes. So like, uh, follow, subscribe, dang it. Mm-hmm. If your pockets are feeling particularly heavy, we <laughs> want to do everything we can to help yes. burden you. Mm-hmm. Unburden you, I mean. Whoa, mm-hmm. that's that was a slip. Um, yes. To unburden you. Uh, if you're part of the 30% who just listened and has pockets, um, <laughs> then uh, you can also check out our Patreon. There's a bunch of really cool stuff on there. Uh, and our merch store, you know, do it, do it now. Check it out. Mm-hmm. Anyways, until next time. Mm-hmm. Thanks for I'm listening. I'm Gary Busey. Um. Okay, I'm me. All right. That's yeah. I don't. I don't. If I could be anyone, I don't know why I chose Gary Busey. That's <laughs> there's better options. Yeah. Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Thank you.